I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. From Romans 3, we're going to read verses 9 through 20. And um, if you're just looking at the text and you're looking at it just for face value, um, it's, uh, by the end of it, it's not going to be one of those uplifting, super positive, optimistic texts. This is one of those texts that Paul's actually finishing some stuff, and uh, he's sort of... Um, stating his case, and he's making it clear, and he's putting his flag in the ground and saying, this is, in essence, where we begin. So everything else that comes after this, he will begin to build a new argument, but this is sort of him at the end putting us at the bottom of the bottom, the worst of the worst, the depths of the depths, and then uh, as we continue to move forward with uh, Nick next week and me in the weeks ahead, uh, Pastor Will will also be preaching in there too. Um, you're going to hear more about God, uh, God's truth in Christ that Paul, um, Paul teaches, but he has to get us to a certain place first, and that's where we are today. So Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Remember all the things that he said before. Basically, he's indicted Judaism, and that Judaism is not a means for anyone to claim favor through righteousness, circumcision, the law, all of those things. There's no, uh, you have no right to judge. And that, in essence, even from uh, chapter one, he's saying that you know when when people move away from God towards idolatry, all this other stuff, all this yucky, horrible, sinful, broken stuff happens. So he's talked about all of that. And he gets to this point, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? And by we, he's talking about uh, either Jews or Gentiles, anyone making a claim. Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We grow up in a tradition and in a culture where... Almost always, at least um, I would say always now, we are within reach of God's Word. Would you affirm that? I mean, right now you're sitting in a pew and within reach is an actual paper cover, you know, pieces of paper Bible. But not only that, 
I know that if I asked you to, many of you could whip out your smartphones that are in your pockets and within probably about 30 seconds have Romans 3, 9 through 20 up on your screen on whatever Bible app you use. Some of you come this morning, you come with your iPads because that's how you read the text. We have access to God's Word in its written form in so many different forms and fashions, and it's very easy for us to access. And and certainly we know that things were different in the time that Paul is writing to the Romans, but we don't necessarily understand, I think sometimes, the effect that that had on how people knew and approached the text. In the time of Paul writing to the Romans, there were only two different means in which one could write. There's actually three, the first one being the way that Moses, God gave the commandments to Moses, writing them on a rock with a chisel, but those are not the sort of things that most families would have because, you know, frankly, uh, not many of us have our pocket tablets, well, at least the stone ones that we would carry around. It just didn't happen. But you could have either something called papyrus, which was woven reeds, or vellum, which was a little bit later. It was a type of leather that you could then prepare for writing and be able to write upon. And that's probably the sort of thing that uh, uh, Paul would have written this letter to the Romans. It's probably on papyrus, which is, again, woven reeds prepared in order to write upon. Later ones would have been on vellum, which is animal skin smoothed out over and over again so that you can write upon it. Well, since you hear about papyrus and vellum, those are really hard things to have access to. They're very time-consuming. They're not things that people would, would really get involved with very much, would, would have in their homes. I mean, only the rich would be able to have a papyrus or a vellum text or something, some sort of book, some sort of written, written document. It just didn't happen. So what did you do? You, you, you shared words orally, oral history. And we, we see that happening often. In fact, if we think about Greece, the, the Odyssey that Homer wrote, and the Iliad, great stories that were told over and over again around fires or in the halls of rulers or wherever. That's how you transmitted information was via oral recitation. And in fact, when you read in the book of Deuteronomy, let the word of God be on your lips, it's not just that God wants us to have it here. It's that God knows that the people of Israel, that's how they're going to carry his word. So they're talking about it all the time, or they're reciting it, or they're memorizing it. It would be very much a part of the way of faith to verbalize God's word and speak of it over and over again. And the reason that I bring that up this morning is because in our text from Romans chapter 3, there's a significant recitation of Old Testament text that Paul is sharing with the Romans for the purpose of defending his argument that all before God are unrighteous. And so he would have in these le- this letter, this letter on papyrus, an unusual thing that many people didn't have access to. He would send this to them. They would read that. But as they would read that, because the Jews and over time the Gentiles got into so much of the, of the rhythm of reciting the text, when they heard the text that they knew, 
they would have been able in their minds to move into the rest of the text that they knew that he was referring to. So when Paul gives a reference, and he's going to give several references this morning. He's going to give one from Psalm 14. He's going to give one from Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 51. He's going to give another from Ecclesiastes. He's going to give another from Isaiah. And he says to them the text in his letter. They wouldn't just hear that text. They would hear the rest of it. And although you and I don't have that same capacity because we don't have the word on our lips because we have it in a pew or on a smartphone. Because we don't have it so much in our mind like the Jews and the Gentiles of Paul's day did, um, we're not going to receive it the same way. We've got to learn a little bit how to do that. We gotta, we gotta, but I do want you to hear that the Jews and the Gentiles that Rome, the Romans, uh, that Paul was writing Romans to, they would have heard it that way. And so when he says to them something from the text, they would have understood not just what he was referring to specifically, but they also would have understood more of what was around it. And although this morning's message in the text itself, there's not a lot of hope. Remember always that the Jews knew the rest of the text. And as we hear this this morning, Lord willing, we're going to understand a little bit more about the rest of the text. But let's begin with verse 9. Verse 9 says, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Now, we read that, and, and hopefully you see fairly quickly that this is a legal argument that Paul is making. What shall we conclude? And he even, um, the charge, he uses that word. And so it's pretty clear that he's using a legal defense. In fact, that's exactly what he's doing. This is his closing statement of the first three chapters where he has indicted all for having fallen short of God's glory in their sin and unrighteousness. And he's making this legal charge. Now, I don't know about you, I've only ever been to court once. Maybe there's some people here who have to go to court a lot. I hope not. I hope that, that you don't have to go to court very much because going to court generally isn't a good thing. But I don't have much familiarity with court proceedings. These people would have. Because remember that in the time that we're talking about, all of those sort of legal proceedings were very public activities. The public square was where you held court. In fact, oftentimes in the small towns, the whole idea of gates... Gates were the doors to the city, followed by a couple rooms on each side, maybe three rooms on either side of the gates. The whole idea was that those rooms beside the gates were the places where you brought your legal cases before the elders of the community for judgment. That's a very public activity. So when we think about these legal proceedings that Paul is presenting to the Jews and Gentiles of Rome, they would have had a lot more familiarity with how this is supposed to go than many of us. They would have understood more of what Paul is doing because Paul needs a defense for his argument. He needs witnesses for his argument. And he gives them beginning in verse 10. Verses 10 through 12 say this. 
As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. When we see that, we see hopefully a footnote in your Bibles. And that footnote should refer back to Old Testament texts. The two that are there, it's a loose paraphrase, actually, it's of three. It's Psalm 14, Psalm 51, and Ecclesiastes 7. And Paul is loosely paraphrasing with some adjustments those texts. Now, why would he do that? Well, he does that because he wants to appeal to witnesses. Remember, when you see Jesus even arguing with the Pharisees, he's using the witness sort of language. He's saying, he, he, is, he said in some context, do you have a witness? Because I have a witness. Let, me, let the Spirit be my witness, he actually uses. I believe it's in John 14, where the Spirit is the witness. He's using witnesses here from the Old Testament to defend his argument. Psalm 14, Psalm 51, Ecclesiastes 7. Now remember, it's strengthened by the more witnesses you have. And if you turn back into those texts, you'll see Psalm 14 and Psalm 51, the first three verses and the last verses are almost exactly the same. He's appealing, making sure that there's at least a couple witnesses to bolster his argument, to make sure that the people understand exactly what he's saying and that they believe him. Now, the interesting thing is that it's a paraphrase. In Psalm 14 and Psalm 51, there's another word included in verses 1 through 3, and that is the word fool. The Jews would know this because, remember, they knew through oral recitation all that text. They knew it. It would have been in their mind. They would have said, oh, wait, Paul, you forgot a word. It was the fool. But there's a reason why Paul forgot a word. And that's because he is equating right from the beginning all the people who are sinners all with the fool. They would know that. And they would hear Paul saying, you, I, us, we're the fools. We're all the fools who do not seek or follow God. In our sin, this scripture from the witnesses of Psalm 14, Psalm 51, and Ecclesiastes 7 is fulfilled within your hearing. He's making sure they understand that's us. That's me. I'm that person. But the Jews knew the rest of the text. So when they heard this, they would have heard the rest of what that text affirms for God's people. We'll get there in a minute. Verses 13 and 14 say this, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now here, Paul is Again, he's bolstering his case. He's strengthening his case that people do not, and the Greek here is exoteo ton theon. Exoteo ton theon. They do not seek God. They aren't 
seeking God. And because they're not seeking God, there's consequence. And those consequence shows up in everything that they do. And here he's starting with speech, words, the things that we say. Something that I'm sure that all of us here are perfectly in control of. Our words are always perfectly spoken. We never say anything hurtful or something that we don't mean to. Yeah, right. When's the last time you made that inappropriate throwaway comment? Me? I think it was probably, I don't know, about 30 seconds before the service started. Or that comment on Facebook or that statement that you made somewhere in an email that you were angry or frustrated, and you realize later on the consequence of that sort of statement. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. And look the consequences that he's talking about in words. Open graves. Open graves at this time, if you leave a grave open, that's where disease comes in. That's where things like plague, that's where things like measles and all the sorts of things that if they got loose in the, in the uh, space of Rome, people would have died and they would have died by the thousands or the millions. You don't leave a grave open because it's pollution. Keep it closed. The mouth is an open grave. Poison harms or kills those who touches. The poison of the asp was considered the strongest poison of the day. If you were bit by an asp, then it was ham buns at 11 o'clock at the church for you. You know, you were going to have the luncheon with jello because there was a funeral coming. That's the way it was perceived. Lies, cursing, and bitterness harm and alienate the speaker and the hearer. And not only Paul, but God knows just how important the mouth is for us in actually participating in sin. How, how difficult it is for us to control the mouth. Let's really quick put your fingers in Romans 3 and then jump back to Proverbs. We'll just go to chapters 10 and 11 of Proverbs real quick. And I want you to see how many. Proverbs is about wisdom. And if you're going to get wisdom, you're going to do what the Proverbs say. I'm going to read in chapter 10 of Proverbs the number of Proverbs that specifically speak to the words that people speak because it's so important that you get control of the tongue. And it's something that we don't do well. Why? Because as Paul said, we're sinners. Hear how many are here in chapter 10 and 11. The mouth of the righteous, verse 11 is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. All that stuff that he was talking about in Romans chapter 3. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. 18. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. 20. The tongue of the righteous 
righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. 21, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. 32, the lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. 11, 9, when it, the, his mouth, with his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous escape. 11, through the blessing of the upright a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is destroyed. And 12, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding, what? Holds his tongue. Speech is one of those things that if we are not wise, if we are fools, the word that is missing that Paul knew that his readers would know, if we are fools, our mouth poisons the world around us. Our words have power to hurt. And left to ourselves, that's exactly what happens. How many of you have made a comment that has hurt somebody? Every single one of us. That's exactly the sign of our sin that Paul is highlighting here, but he's not done. But thankfully, when the Jews would hear this, they would know the rest of the text. We'll get there in a moment. Verses 15 through 18 say this. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before our eyes. Plenty of references there. And he's completing his witness, getting the rest of the witnesses from the Old Testament to defend his case by indicating the journeys we make and the things that we see where we look. Now, it might be surprising. Maybe you're like, maybe you're like me. You read through this and you hear lips, tongue, mouth, eyes. You hear about feet. What don't you hear about? I would have thought hands, right? But actually, what Paul is doing here is a more powerful indictment than even indicting someone's hands because he talks about how you get to do the things that your hands do. He doesn't refer to hands, but what he says here is more convicting. Before we can even do sin with our hands, we have to move with our feet to the place to do it. In our sin, we're so corrupt that we premeditate the doing of it much before it happens. You have to get somewhere, move to somewhere in order to commit sin. Sure, you can just sin sitting where you are, standing alone, but much of our life of sin is actually something that's premeditated. Here's what I mean. If you are an alcoholic, you commit sin not just in the drinking, but in going to the store to buy the drink. If you are a gambler, you don't just commit the sin by going and placing a bet with a bookie or playing cards at a casino. You're involved in sin by getting on the bus that takes you there. If you are someone who is involved in lust or pornography, 
Yes, you do that. Uh, you, can, you can do that easily on a computer, but you have to get there and say, I'm going to do it. Paul, with highlighting that someone's feet take them to sin, reminds us that our minds are so corrupt. Even before we commit the sin, we're involved with sin by moving somewhere to do the sin. Perhaps we're moving with our bodies. Perhaps we're moving with our minds. And that's why he talks about the eyes, the things that we take in, and the things that we see. And when we hear all this stuff, we're reminded. I don't know about you, but when I was reading through this, I'm thinking, yeah, I know those moments. I know those moments when all of a sudden in my heart, it'll be a rise of, you know, oh, maybe I'll do this. You know, that little voice that says, Scott, why don't you do this? Something you know is wrong. Ah, no. Oh, maybe. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And then it happens. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? We, we have that. There is that place and that space in our minds where it gives rise to that sin, rise to that temptation, and then we entertain it and we allow it to come, and it moves us into the place of sin. It's a sign of our corruption. We're fulfilling the text. But remember, the Jews knew the rest of the text. Then we get to verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is like the closing statement. This is where Paul puts the stamp on the case and says, guess what, folks? We're all stuck. We're all stuck because we're all sinners before God. No one can claim righteous advantage because of who they are as a Jew or who they are as a Gentile or through circumcision or through the law or anything else. Fully and completely before a righteous God, we are guilty. And we read the end of that and we think to ourselves, I suck. Does anyone think that? I mean, we, we, we think, I, I, I suck. I stink. I'm horrible. I'm broken. And then that's exactly where Paul wants us to be. But you see, that's not where he leaves us. And that's important that he doesn't leave us there. It's important that we don't stay there. We need to live in that space. We need to be in that space of conviction. We need to be in that space where we realize my, my tongue and my mouth and my words give, give witness to the fact that I am corrupt before a holy God. And, and the things that I, I do and the places I go and the things that I see give evidence, give witness that I am before a holy God corrupt with sin and that I have no standing before a holy God. Certainly, we need to live in that space. We need to be in that space. There needs to be an element to which we come there and we say, Paul, God the Father, 
Holy Spirit, Christ the Son, you're right. I am lost. I am broken. That's the so what in our sin. We've made a mess that we can't clean up. God judges that mess, and we are guilty before Him. And folks, there's no way around that. It's unpopular. It's not nice. It's not one of those things that is a great church growth uh, mantra. It's not a vision statement that I want to really put up in our lobby and say, every single one of you is guilty before a holy God. Because certainly that's not something that's compelling. It's convicting. Keeps us in that space of depression, hurt, pain. But remember, the Jews knew the rest of the text. Turn really quickly. Psalm 13 and Psalm 51. Remember, Paul has quoted these and he's paraphrased them, giving conviction before people that they are sinners and they have no ability to do good. In Psalm 53, Psalm 14, they're both the same, more or less. At the end of the text of that psalm, it says this. I'm reading from Psalm 53. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You could go through the rest of the references that Paul gave in his witness against God's people for their sin. You could go through every single one and you will find in each of that, those psalms a light, some hope. Every text that Paul quotes goes on to talk about a God who rescues. A God that saves his people. A God who cleans up their mess. Absolutely. Your mouth is an open grave. Your words are like poison. Your feet take you to spaces that you should not go. Your eyes see things and take in things into your mind and your heart that corrupt you. Yes, yes, yes. But. Did you realize that that's one of the most powerful words in the English language? You have cancer. There was a good report. But, but, it was a long and hard delivery. But baby and mom are fine. He's walked away from God. But, he's part of the covenant. And we trust that God has not given up on him yet. They're having a really tough, tough time. And they've talked about divorce. But 
they're willing to sit down with a counselor and try to work it out. What's the next word? Right after the end of Romans 3, 9 through 20. What's the next word? What's the next word? You and I are a mess. In and of ourselves, we are broken and we are fallen and we are lost and we are corrupted and we are guilty and we are hopeless. But, praise God for three letters that go together that point me to the righteousness now that comes from God. Exactly what the next section of the text comes from. Because if righteousness that comes from me can't save me and fix me from a corrupted, hopeless, lost, broken, sinful life, I need but... I need the righteousness that comes from God. I need the hope. There is no other way except through the butt of God. You and I are broken, sinful people. But in Christ there is hope. And as we live out that only way, the only but that works. There is no other but that will fulfill, that will help, that will change, that will transform the way that this one does. Everything else falls short. Everything else is left wanting except, except Jesus. As we live that out and share those three letters put together with our Neighbors, with our family, with our work space, and with ourselves. You're hurting right now. You look in the mirror and you feel a sense of guilt. You feel a sense of brokenness. You see, feel a sense of loss. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and if you look in the mirror and feel that, just say that one word. But... I feel this way. I know all this is true. But. But Jesus. But there is hope. But there is life. But Jesus. Let's pray together. Living and gracious God, we praise you for that word. We praise you that it changes everything from hopelessness to hope. That it changes us from being broken to being made whole, from being lost to being found. And Father, for those of us who are here needing that word, Father, bring its power to our lives. May it indwell us, but there is hope, but there is life, but there is Jesus. But the Spirit comes and heals. But the Father comes and comforts. Bring that power to us that we may internalize it, understand it doesn't come from our own ability or strength. It comes simply and completely from you. For that we praise you. But may it consume us. 
so that instead of that hopelessness and fear and doubt, there can be a glimpse, if only a glimpse, a ray that comes in and touches us and says, I'm going to live in but. I'm going I'm to believe in it. I'm going to believe in that word. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to follow it where it leads me. Because that but brings me to Jesus. Lord, may you do that in us, we pray. Amen. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them. Feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.